Which color do you think is right? Is the color of the sun? Yellow or orange? Yellow. Yellow? Why yellow? Because it's bright. Because it's bright? That's a good that's a good answer. Why do you think was the color of the sun? I think the sun is yellow too. That is my son Radic and I reading and discussing one of our favorite books called The Day the Crayons Quit. The book is basically a series of resignation letters by crayons owned by a little boy named Duncan. And as you read each letter, you realize that each of these crayons is fed up for one reason or another. For example, here is Blue Crayon's letter. Dear Duncan, it has been great being your favorite color this past year, and the year before, and the year before that. I've really enjoyed all those oceans, lakes, rivers, raindrops, rain clouds, and clear skies. But the bad news is that I am so short and stubby, I can't even see over the railing in the crayon box anymore. I need a break. Your very stubby friend, Blue Crayon. So Blue feels overworked. Black Crayon feels it's not fair that it only gets to be the outline of stuff and never the colored in part. And as you hear Rad and I discuss, yellow and orange crayons, they're having a fight about who's the color of the sun, while Beige Crayon feels second place to Mr. Brown Crayon. And that's just a few of the letters. One could suggest that each of these crayons feels judged, pigeonholed in a way, and unfulfilled in the purpose for which they are being used. They all seem to have this dissatisfaction inside that expresses itself as exhaustion in some, frustration in others, sadness, emptiness, loneliness. And this dissatisfaction leaves them feeling an itch for something different. And because Duncan wants his crayons to be happy, he scratches that itch by allowing each color to be purposeful in a different way. And I think these crayons, they're not that different from each of us. Sometimes we have an itch for something different or for an answer, a direction, a feeling of purpose. And I think for us, much like with the crayons, the answer isn't to quit. It's just to change our approach. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we are talking purpose and hoping to help those who wrestle with it to roll with it instead. And while we couldn't line up a conversation with the crayons, we are joined by a special guest that knows them quite well. Plus, this week's edition of WTS Digs. My name is Brett Gaida. Let's start the show. Without purpose, we would not exist. It is purpose that created us. Purpose that connects us. Purpose that pulls us, that guides us, that drives us. It is purpose that defines Purpose that binds us. I work with people for a living, with organizations and individuals looking to create more success, teamwork, happiness, income, results, etc. And as they say, if I had a nickel, for every time I've heard people say something along the lines of, I want to figure out my purpose. I want to know why I'm here. I need to figure out what I want to do with my life. Well, I'd have a lot of nickels. Joey Nichols. You see? Nichols. See? Nichols. <laughs> you see? Nichols. And many of the people who ask these questions and make these statements, 
They get caught in a state of paralysis by analysis. They feel like they need to first figure out exactly what it is, and then they are gonna do it. Whereas when I talk to people who have achieved any significant level of success in their life, in any area, they tell me that it rarely looks the way they expected or happened the way they planned. And certainly that is true for my successes. So the idea of thinking that you're going to figure it out exactly and plan how to get there is ridiculous, really. And that is why I tell people that I don't believe that purpose is something you decide. I believe it is something you discover. Specifically, something you discover through action, injected with thoughts and emotions. And in addition, we believe that this idea of a life purpose or my purpose as some sort of singular thing that you can know, well, that's... Bogus. Exactly. We are not parts of a car engine, nor are we a specific position player on a sports team. We do not have just one purpose. I mean, imagine if you lived an amazing life and passed away peacefully in your sleep at a healthy 110 years old. And for the sake of a nice visual and anecdote, you end up at the pearly gates. And God just happens to be manning the host stand that day. You've got this big smile on your face, so grateful for the life you have lived. And God looks at you and says, I don't want to burst your bubble, but your life? You did it wrong. That wasn't your life purpose. You were supposed to be a gynecologist and ride horses. My dad is a gynecologist and he looks at vaginas all day long. Would you care? Would you suddenly feel that how you felt about your life didn't matter because you had lived the wrong purpose? No. 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 Yes. I mean, I mean, no. No. I wouldn't think so. And in that, much like with our Meaning of Life episode, it seems to me that when most people are looking for purpose, it is actually something else they are looking for. It's joy fulfillment, a titillating satisfaction, the adrenaline of a challenge, the certainty of direction, the confidence of clarity. It is a feeling, but somehow more than a feeling. So what is this feeling then, this feeling of purpose? Well, I think it could take a lot of forms. And one form I've always liked, certainly from a vocational standpoint, is what Sir Ken Robinson calls your element. Some of you are probably familiar with Ken Robinson, since according to TED.com, his 2006 TED Talk, How Schools Kill Creativity, is the number one most watched TED Talk of all time, with over 38 million views. In 2009, Robinson released a book called The Element, How Finding Your Passion Changes Everything. Here he is defining the element at the RSA in 2010. And I think it's two things. One of them is that if you're on your element, you're doing something for which you have a natural capacity, a natural feel. And it's different for all sorts of people. It's different for all of us, really. But being good at something, being naturally good at something, is not enough to be in your element, as I see it. To be in your element, you also have to love it. Um, I know lots of people who are doing things they're good at, 
that they don't greatly care for. They do it because they're good at it. So basically, when you are doing something that you love to do and that you are good at, you're in your element. You feel many of those feelings that people seek when they talk about purpose. And if we were to wrap it all into one word, perhaps we would say you feel fulfilled. I have a very fulfilling life. So how does one find this fulfillment? How do you even figure out what you like or don't like and what you have an ability for or are good at? Well, there's no shortcut to this. You just gotta get out and do things. You have to put your thoughts and feelings into action. You can't read about it or hear about it from someone else because no one, including you, can tell you where your fulfillment lies. We only learn that through experience, through taking shots, swinging the bat, trying things on and taking chances. And in that exploration of self and the world around us, I will tell you that figuring out what you don't wanna do, what doesn't fulfill you, that is as valuable as figuring out what does. Because in some ways, it is a process of elimination. And we are like a computer with artificial intelligence, learning as we go and updating and adapting with each piece of new information. When I was a kid, if you asked me what my purpose was, aka what I wanted to do when I grew up, I would have told you that I wanted to be a rock star, an author, or an actor. To be or not to be. Because as a kid, you, you really only know about 15 jobs. Doctor, lawyer, teacher, firefighter, cowboy, president or prime minister, airline pilot, rock star, actor, author, athlete, whatever your parents or guardian did, an astronaut. Or a cowboy. You're never gonna be any of those, okay? Run! You gotta set the bar a lot lower. Service industry, fry cook, prison guard. But if I look at my life now, if I look at the characteristics of what I do as a speaker and facilitator for businesses and as a part of where there's smoke, they line up with what I wanted to do as a kid. Now, I create, I entertain people. Hopefully, on a good day, I inspire, influence. I'm constantly working on different projects where I'm using similar skills, but always in new ways with new people. I don't work for anyone, I work with them. I feel successful, and my voice, I believe, I hope, is making a difference. Those are the things that attracted me to being a rock star, actor, author. But when I was eight years old, I wasn't aware that you could facilitate personal development classes or speak on stages to inspire people or talk into a microphone in your bedroom and have thousands of people hear your voice. Much of what I do now didn't even exist as a vocation when I was a kid. So I wanted to be a rock star, an author, an actor. To be or not to be, that is the question. Remember how we started this show with my son Rad and I reading the book, The Day the Crayons Quit? That book was written by Drew Daywalt. Hi, my name's Drew Daywalt, and I'm a children's book author and horror filmmaker. <laughs> uh, I, I, I grew up in a haunted house reading Dr. Seuss, so uh, that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> that explains it all. <laughs>
And these days, Drew is a very successful children's author. The Day the Crayons Quit was his first book, published in 2013. It became a critical and commercial success, selling over one and a half million copies worldwide. He sold the film rights to Universal Pictures, and it inspired a sequel book, The Day the Crayons Came Home, which both the Wall Street Journal and Time Magazine named to their list of best children's books of 2015. He is now working with two publishers, Harper and Collins and Penguin, and in the coming 18 months has two more books coming out, a children's novel that he describes as on par with a Roald Dahl early reader middle grade book, and another kid's book called Rock, Paper, Scissors. It's the, the legend of Rock, Paper, Scissors, and it's, an, or, it's a superhero origin story of who they are and how they met and who they were fighting before they started fighting each other. So, you know, he's doing okay. And he's definitely in his element and living a life of purpose. But he has his own superhero legend story, so to speak. And I think his story is a good illustration of how these journeys work. How we strive and stumble through life to feel that sense of purpose and fulfillment. And in Drew's case, I would suggest that his willingness to stay in motion, to explore, to take chances, to listen, and to be open to paths outside of the plan, those ideals, they've helped him find purpose and give it to others as well. You know, driving on the highway or in the shower, I think everybody thinks about, wow, what would my life be like if it was a movie? Um, it would be told in sort of two parts. Like, for me, it was a really easy, since, a, since childhood, to leap from, you know, my Star Wars action figures and that form of storytelling when you're six into um, sneaking down and reading my brother's, you know, vault of horror comic books and heavy metal, you know. So for me growing up, those two worlds were always kind of one world, you know, the hope of being six and seven and believing in all these great things. And when I grow up, I can be, I can be the Incredible Hulk if I want to. I can be an astronaut. I can be anything, you know, that's paired and tempered, I guess, with the horror of all the dark parts of that magical world are also real. So that's part one of, I guess, the answer. As Drew got older and into his teenage years, he did something that I think a lot of people do. He started to try and forge a career vision out of these childhood worlds and passions, trying to find an answer to that question so many adults would ask us. What do you want to do with your life? And for Drew, he wanted to work in a place where anything was possible, a kingdom really where dreams come true and magic happens, where your only obstacle would be the limits of your own imagination. His plan was to go work for Disney. So in 1989, he enrolled in Emerson College, where he could both study screenwriting and children's literature. I had a plan. I was gonna take this degree and go work for Disney. Um, I thought, well, I'm going to know my children's literature because that's really the root of that sort of young storytelling. During his time at Emerson College, Drew's professor of children's book writing, Jack Gantos, became one of his mentors. Or as he said, My Obi-Wan Kenobi, Jack was just this cool teacher, and he wasn't, he wasn't the person he is now. He's since gone on to win a Newbery Award, hundreds of awards, um, and he's, he writes um, novels for kids. He was my mentor and my teacher, 
And after taking his creative writing class, this is in the early 90s again, he said, you don't need to go to Hollywood, you need to go to New York and get into publishing. You've got a voice for children's literature. And I'm like, at the time, I was like, no, I want want to be Quentin Tarantino when I grow up. I don't want to be Roald Dahl. And Jack was like, well, that's tough because you're Roald Dahl. Um, And of course, because he's older and wiser, I didn't listen to him because I'm an idiot. But, um, you know, I went off to Hollywood. This part of Drew's story struck me. Because when it comes to finding a purpose or a path in our life, we often need to figure it out on our own, for better or worse. As I said earlier, you can't decide your purpose. You discover it. Your parents or your mentors or your elders, they can advise all they want. They might even be right. But that still doesn't change the fact that we need to experience these things for ourselves. When I was a kid, I would run around recklessly all the time. Heck, I would do a lot of things recklessly. And my mom would always tell me to tie my shoelaces because if I left them untied, I was gonna trip over, fall, and hurt myself. And no matter how many times she told me, I would almost never do it. I was sure I'd be fine. And then one day I was watching as my best friend Chris was running and he tripped and fell over, you guessed it, his shoelaces. And my mom just happened to be there, and so I guess she figured, aha, well now I have some evidence. I can show him. But when she pointed it out, see, this is why you need to tie your shoelaces, my response was something like, well, yeah, mom, but Chris isn't as good a runner as I am. I mean, I won't trip. I still wouldn't listen, or I wouldn't believe. And then one day, that changed. And I still have a scar on my knee to remember it. I was running across the pavement, shoelaces untied, and somehow, contrary to my self-proclaimed running excellence, I stepped on my shoelace, tripped, fell, and landed right on my knee, which split open and started bleeding. And from that day forward, do you know what I did? Of course, I started tying my shoelaces. Because now, through my experience, I believed what my mom had been telling me all along. And for the record, that story is as much a metaphor as it is the truth, because it was not the first or the only time that I did not listen to my mom, and it turned out she was right. Okay, so back to Drew. He went off to Hollywood, and he did work for Disney for a few years. And though he didn't become Quentin Tarantino, Drew did attract his attention. Tarantino's company purchased a script he'd written called Stark Raving Mad, which Drew went on to direct. He was following the plan, but something didn't fit. He was, as I said earlier, discovering what he wanted to do by discovering what he didn't want to do. So Stark Raving Mad came out, and I thought, ah, this is 10 years after college. You know what? I'm really frustrated. It didn't do as well as I'd hoped. It ended up being a little bit of a feathered fish. Um, it's you know a funny movie, but not what I intended to, to make. You know, and I had a really good run. Um, worked with some really good people, and but I wasn't satisfied. And you know, Hollywood is so collaborative that you doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. You never feel like you're the author. I still had a yearning, a creative yearning that it wasn't. You know, the itch was not being scratched by Hollywood. And I thought, I gotta tell these stories. And I, what I realized is, you know, I wanted to tell stories for children. And I haven't, I hadn't tried children out as an audience yet. I've been writing for adults for, at that point, you know, 10 years. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna try and write this children's book that Jack wanted me to write. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try my hand at it. And in 2003, Drew wrote 
what would become the day the crayons quit. Uh, here I am in my early 30s with no kids, and I've got a box of worn-down crayons <laughs> on my desk. And I don't even remember buying them or how they get there, because crayons just are ubiquitous. They show up. And when as soon as I poured them out, I had the story. I was like, oh my God, look at these. Look how differently used they are. Look what I've, I've judged them. Yeah. Uh, I've judged them. And you know what? I bet they, if I gave them voice, which was in my head anyway, because I was thinking dialogue, if I gave them voice, they would bitch me out. And I was like, oh, this is it. And I just started typing. When he was done, he sent it to one literary agent in New York, Jeff Dwyer, who specialized in representing picture books and children's novels. Jeff said he would represent him, but asked that Drew mostly leave him alone to sell it. So Drew gave him the crayons manuscript and decided to go back to his other love, monster movies and horror movies, and pretty much forgot about crayons. Then, six years later. My phone rings and I pick it up and he's, it's Jeff and he's like, hey, I sold your manuscript. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> he's like, I'm your agent. <laughs> you idiot, I've been trying to sell this thing. Yeah, that, you know, that was 2009, but there was you know, a lot to do to get a book from an idea to a finished product. So 2013, the book came out. And so two decades later, that life and career advice he was given by his college professor became a personal realization, and in that, a reality. Oh, incidentally, by the way, when the book came out and hit number one on the New York Times list, my phone rang, it's in 2013, I pick it up and the voice on the other end of the phone goes, I told you so, idiot. And it took me a sec to realize who it was, and it was Jack Gantos calling, it was 20 years after the fact. It was a 20 year I told you so. That is awesome, that must have been very satisfying for him. But the I told you so aside, Drew told me that even Jack shared with him in a later conversation that his time in Hollywood was pivotal in helping him to learn skills and gain magic insight that he eventually brought back to children's writing. The whole journey mattered. If he had skipped to the end, the part where he wrote children's books, it likely wouldn't have worked out as well. And when I hear your story, one of the things that I like is this idea that you weren't necessarily committed to being a filmmaker or a director, or you weren't committed to being a horror writer or a comedy writer. You weren't committed to being a children's book writer. You, it sounds like to me, like you were committed. The, the itch was, I'm committed to telling stories. Like, I want to tell stories. I know there's a storyteller in me. And so you were kind of like just willing to swing the bat anywhere mm -hmm. to yes. make that happen. And I think that's what's admirable about it is that oh, you weren't thanks. stuck in one you know you were like okay like i'm what's the most important thing is i get to scratch this itch and i get to tell stories and i gotta try every way to do it oh amen and i i recommend that to people all the time you know it came from being really bad at sports <laughs> and trying <laughs> all of them as a kid <laughs> and you know it's that try fail thing and you know eventually you will find something that you can you can do something that you can feel good about. And, you know, for me, sports never was it. But I did, I do remember going through all of them going, ah, how can I be this bad at sports? You know, and then I, you know, I explored other elements of, of life. I loved escapism. I wasn't really escaping from anything bad. I just thought that this other, these other worlds were amazing. And I wanted to give that back. I wanted to be a storyteller and a world builder for children and, or not for children, for anybody who would listen. You know, I was, I was, I was the man, you know, <laughs> the, the bad metaphor, I guess, is the man ranting on the corner waiting for an audience, whether he's in a pulpit, but no audience. And, you know, who knew, for me anyway, who knew children would be my audience, but they've been, they've welcomed me with open arms on both books. 
The Dalai Lama once said, to be born at all is a miracle. So what do you want to do with your life? And I think that's purpose, a feeling that we are doing something with our life. But I don't think that anyone can simply find their life purpose. There isn't an answer section at the back of the book to say, you got it right. And so if you are one of those people caught in, I don't know what my purpose is, welcome to the club. No one does. But that does not mean you can't live a purposeful life. I think purpose is about the day-to-day. -day. Liking who you are, what you do, who you do it for, and the difference it makes. It is living in your element and doing things that you are good at and that you love. And staying in action, trying things out, swinging the bat, figuring out what you don't want to do, likely more than what you do want to do. And letting that course correct you, guide you. Purpose is a pursuit, not an arrival. At best, it's a direction. It's a way, but not a map. Now, it's an itch. It's a feeling, not a thing. Or maybe it's more than a feeling. I guess we just need to keep exploring and see what we find. I almost forgot, there's one more thing. I want to thank Drew Daywald for the generosity of his time in speaking with me and for the hours of joy and laughter that he has given me and my son through his books. As Nick said to me, Drew found you twice without trying. The first, when we bought the Crayons book a couple of years ago, and the second, when one of our listeners who has become a great friend, Matthew Curry Holmes, texted me one day and said, I have someone I think would make a great interview for Where There's Smoke. And that person just happened to be the author of one of my favorite books. So thank you to Matthew as well for being the connector here. To you listening, I encourage you to grab a copy of The Day the Crayons Quit, regardless of whether you have kids or not. It just straight up rules as a book. And you can find Drew on Twitter and Instagram. He is at Drew Daywalt. That is D-R-E-W-D-A-Y-W-A-L-T. And lastly, because I love his answer, and it very much lines up with our values and message here at WTS, I want to close out the show with Drew's answer to a question I've asked a few guests over our first 15 months. If you could share one thing with our audience, or one idea, one concept, and you knew that they would really take it to heart, what would you say? I'd give them the same advice my dad gave me. When you get out there, just be nice and work hard. It's the greatest thing anyone's ever told me. And it's so ridiculously simple that it's, it's perfection. It is humanity stripped down to two very simple sentences, you know, be nice, work hard. I've really tried to maintain that my whole life, um, which hasn't always served, served me. You know, there were lots of times in business and in, especially out in Los Angeles where neither of those pieces of advice would serve you for advancement, but spiritually you can fulfill yourself. Um, and feel better as you, when you go to bed at night. If you did work hard and you were nice instead of the other routes you could take. 
All right. Welcome to Digs, everybody. My name is Nick. Brett, you've been talking a long time. I'm going to say everything I need to say right now. Of course, Digs is the segment where we talk about things that we love, things that we like, things that were getting us up in the morning. And Brett, you can talk for just a little bit, and then it's my turn. Man, you sound out of breath. Did you just like run here to do Digs? No, I've been holding my breath for like 30 minutes. Oh, I understand. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I didn't want to right. interrupt. No, I appreciate that. Well, you know, it wasn't all me talking. We had a guest. I mean, it wasn't just me. But Yeah, uh, but I didn't want to interrupt him either. All right, fair enough. Okay, I feel like I've already used up my time and I haven't even said my <laughs> dig yet. Um, all right, so so my dig, Nick, is actually, I called you a couple weeks ago. We were chatting and I said, I got a dig. So, so I, I knew it was going to be my dig and it just happens to work out. That, you know, we did an episode where we featured a children's book because this is kind of, you know, kind of linked. Um, so my dig is actually not something new, but it's something that I recently became aware of. It, they were actually created in 2014. And what they are is they are a series of sh- very short films called Hobbs and Me. Uh, and mm. they are based on the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip, which, you know, we used in an episode, right? Mm-hmm. So many people out there probably know Bill Watterson and his very beloved Calvin and Hobbes strip. And one of the things that Bill did was he basically never sold the rights to that. I mean, there's not a lot. He never let there be a cartoon made or a movie made or, you know, a lot of, you know, paraphernalia and lunchboxes and stuff. Like, he just held all that. And, and you know, I think real fans thought maybe maybe some people or some fans, I should say, maybe wanted that. But in retrospect, I think that's a really cool thing because he kept the purity of that comic strip. Yeah. And so what other people have tried to do is make their own versions. And that's what Hobbs and Me is. It's actually a guy named Raphael Kozel, um, who is like, I checked out his YouTube channel. He's like a writer, an actor, a comedian, a commentator, a spoken word poet, a rapper. He kind of does everything. And it's him and a guy named David Diggs, who's now become kind of famous because he uh, originated the role of Lafayette and Jefferson in the Hamilton musical, which is like all the rage and you can't even get there next year. Um, So basically, uh, Kozel plays Calvin, David Diggs plays Hobbes. He's this really cool black guy who's got this cool afro and he's wearing this like striped fur coat and he's Hobbes. And they basically just act out these strips and verbatim like they use the comic strips as storyboards they film each each frame exactly like the comic they say the exact words and they're great now unfortunately there's only eight of them uh but i've watched all eight like three times since i discovered them (laughs) a a few weeks ago so it's called hobbs and me uh you can find it on youtube uh rafael causal which is c-a-s-a-l it's his youtube channel and if you're a fan of calvin and hobbs you're gonna love these if you haven't seen them yet so um, so that is my dig, digging them, digging them very much. Nick, what about you? What's your dig? Okay, well, here's two things that everybody likes. Ready? Uh-huh. Not everybody, but things people like. They like, some people like coffee, and I must say that I'm not a huge coffee drinker. Like, I don't think to myself, oh, I love the taste of coffee, but what I do love is caffeine in my body. So, of course, coffee is a great uh, vehicle for that. But what I do love is cookies, and I think most people love cookies too. Now, Brett. What if I told you I could combine those two things into one <laughs> awesome thing? What if I told you? <laughs> You're like that guy in the uh, Entourage show. What if I told you? Would you <laughs> Would you be interested in that? I, I would be interested in that, Nick. Well, it's, it's not quite how I'm presenting it, although now coffee cookies sounds delicious. But there's uh, over the Christmas holiday, I, I found and discovered a, a creamer, a coffee creamer that I love. It is Coffee Mate's Thin Mints Creamer. <laughs> and every morning, I put the taste of... Thin Mint Girl Scout cookies into my coffee, and it brings me such joy. And the reason I'm thinking about this today is that I accidentally left it out for a day uh, from yesterday to today, and it was like my whole world fell apart. And that's how I knew 
how much I cared about this creamer. So for once in digs, I think this might be a first. No one's talking about a television show. No, and this is your first, like, you know, I did a beverage digs a few weeks ago. Now you're doing like a food-oriented digs. It's very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. So, so uh, Coffee Mate Thin Mints Girl Scouts Creamer is delicious. Uh, if you're like a real coffee drinker, you'll probably think it's too sweet, whatever, but I don't care about you. So, And let me just say right here, Coffee Mate, if you're you know looking to sponsor a podcast, call us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we tried the Cherry Coke Zero thing, and they never picked it up. Never so. picked up. Uh, anyway, so that's all we've got this week. It was lovely to get to talk to everybody uh, after all this time away. And, uh, of course, if you're digging something special, uh, follow us on Twitter. That's at ExploreWTS or send us an email or shout into the wind and I'm sure we'll hear it. Did you just get cut off or did you just stop talking? No, I, I was going to say something else and then I stopped and figured you'd say something. Oh, no. <laughs> you can still say something. Though. Okay. Um <laughs> Well, I can't, I can't say thanks. You have to. So I think you should fine, just say fine. thanks. I'll just say thanks. Thanks. What is my purpose? Pass the butter. Thank you. Big thanks to show supporter HDMA Architecture and Design in Vancouver and their Tilt Curiosity Labs for being fellow curious explorers of the world. A big shout out to all of our Patreon supporters, including Nathan Robinson, Tully Rosen, Mazin, Stephen Laswell, and many others. We appreciate your support beyond words can express. This does not happen without our incredible listeners, and you can go to supportwts.com to become a financial backer of the show. For the iTunes reviews, thanks to all, including James Purdy and a listener from Canada. We've gotten some great Great emails recently. Thank you for filling our tanks. Stephen Laswell, Melanie Rusing, Steve Goldman, and James Coombs. And to all of you spreading the word on Twitter, gracias, including Brendan Hufford, at The Lively Artist, at Beast, at Alan Eckert, C. McLeod, Weird Monkey Funk, at Free Range Humans, and Miss Karma herself, at Annie Wood. You can email us at connect at where there's smoke.com, follow us on Twitter at ExploreWTS, and also join our Facebook page. If you want to join our newsletter, you can text the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website wherethersmoke.co. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Hey Nick, what other musical artists were featured in this show? Oh, is it my turn to talk, Brett? Oh, uh, anyway, this week you've got music from Lee Rosevere, Blue Dot Sessions, Ketza, Jazar, Pottington Bear, Mads, of course the band Boston, and our friend Kevin McLeod. Where There's Smoke is purposely created on purpose and with purpose by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski, though who knows if it's their purpose. If you're interested in having me speak or train at an event within your company or organization, send an email to brett at wherethersmoke.co. And if you want Nick's help making your podcast sound awesome, check out podcastmonster.com. What is my purpose? You pass butter. Oh my God. Yeah, welcome to the club, pal. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week.